What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Well, we had a really good last January. As you, everybody that lives in Chicago knows, the temperatures were some 10 degrees lower per day than they are today. We had our lowest uh, January in many, many, many years uh, last year. And this one is more on par with our six-year average. So do we have a lot of work to do? Yeah. Is it, is it a much harder start than I would have liked? Absolutely. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman, and with us is Tom Selleck's body double, <laughs> otherwise known as Interim Superintendent Charlie Beck. Thank you for joining us, sir. Well, thank you, Fran. Thanks for having me. Do you ever get tired of hearing that? Uh, well, yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I, I accept it. I, I watch Blue Bloods, and I sometimes wonder to myself, is it about him? Is it about his family? You know, there's a lot of stories that seem like they get plucked out of my life. And then, uh, then um, Leonard Goldberg, who's the executive producer, God rest his soul, uh, you know, he told me that he had seen an article in uh, People magazine when I first became chief in L.A. And it was a picture of me and my kids. And, and although it's not an exact replica of, uh, of my family, my kids are much better looking than the folks <laughs> that, on the show. Um, but uh, it, it's close. The Sunday dinner. Do you have that too? Well, not to that extent, although one of my daughters and my three grandsons live with me, and my oldest daughter only lives a mile or two away, so, and, and by L.A. standards, that's like being in the same building practically, so so we, we, we're together a lot. So you call Chicago your adopted hometown. You talk about your great-grandfather having been born here, your grandfather also, before he moved the clan to L.A., you say you love it, you want to make it better, but you won't stay here permanently. What do you have against gloom and doom and uh, <laughs> and cold and snow and no sun? Well, the, the primary thing that holds me back from going to, to from living in Chicago is uh, my deep love for my family and, and my desire to be close to them. You know, I'm going back to see them uh, this weekend, and I've been away from them for a month, which I think is the longest I've ever been away from them. Uh, and uh, so I, I miss them. So that's important to me. So it's a flat out no. The door is locked. You swallow the key. Yeah, I, I will not be the. I will not be the permanent. Okay, but, but I you're... will. But I will help my successor in any way I can. You know, the things that we're going to talk about today, the things that I've done already. Uh, you know, they've all been in close consultation with the mayor, so I know that she'll make sure that they continue. But I also want to make sure that my successor understands them and and uh, sees the value that I see in them. And so you said you were here to do the heavy lifting that may be difficult for the new permanent superintendent, and today you did that. 
in a massive reorganization that's going to put hundreds of more officers back in the districts, in the areas closer to the people. What are you doing and why are you doing it? So we did a, a reorganization and, and Chicago, the prior organization of the, of the police department, I think stood in the way of success. It, it, it had a couple of glaring omissions that we addressed and then it also did not uh, reflect the priorities of the city of Chicago. You know, the, any big organization, when you look at their organi organizational chart, you can tell what that organization values. And so I wanted that this organization to chart and the, and the way we form the organization to reflect the values of, of CPD and the city of Chicago. So a couple of things that got done, uh, you know, we eliminated a couple of silos that stand in the way of, of uh, really solid community policing and put way more uh, resources in the areas and in the districts, which of course are geographically aligned. Uh, when we took resources from those things that were functionally aligned, like the like um, organized crime and uh, uh, detective bureau, they were very much um, aligned by function. Now this aligns people by geography and and gives our people that are closest to the community, our our deputy chiefs and our uh, commanders in the districts, uh, the ability to have the full array of police resources to address the problems that they and their communities identify. So. A, a really much better way to do uh, ground level policing in Chicago. And then we added a couple of things that, that I think were glaringly omitted. Uh, one, uh, Bureau of Counterterrorism. Uh, we realigned resources from both Detective Bureau and Organized Crime to create this bureau, which will not only have responsibility for our uh, mass transit, uh, our, uh, for CTA and for the airports, uh, but also have all our specialized functions such as SWAT, the bomb unit, uh, canine resources, and then also intelligence gathering. So it'll be really a full-service uh, counterterrorism bureau uh, reflecting what New York and, and uh, uh, Los Angeles have and allow us to be at the table with them and our federal partners in a way that uh, that that makes uh, Chicago a much safer city. And if, God forbid, something were to happen here, were we flat-footed? Were we not ready for it here? Oh, I don't think that's an accurate—I don't think that's accurate. I think we weren't structured in the best way. You know, we we certainly had talented people, and this is, what I, this is, this is true about everything that I've done. We certainly have talented people doing good work. I think that sometimes— um, they were too siloed, and sometimes they weren't all pulling towards the same common goal. But this this organizes the uh, police department in a way where, the, for instance, the, the ch uh, chief in charge of counterterrorism has direct control over the places and the people that are most affected and, and most well used and best used uh, for that for that purpose. And so that's a much better way than. Than, uh, than it was in the past. In the past, um, a lot of the, the transit things were over in, in uh, uh, on the patrol side, SWAT was on the patrol side, and then uh, organized crime had some intelligence capabilities and, and responsibility for counterterrorism, but not with the pieces that they need to do that. So this puts them all under one shop, all under one boss. You know, I'm gonna make sure that that individual is as well prepared and well trained, and he's already he's been selected. I'm not revealing the names at this point, but he's been selected. He will be a great fit. He's in house. Oh yeah, oh, yes. Yeah. And what kind of manpower will this counterterrorism 
unit have? You know, because of the combinations of of, um, of uh, all the different entities, you know, it's in the hundreds. I, I can't give you the exact number because I, I don't recall it, but it, it's it's multiple hundreds of people. And then, of course, the other piece is to elevate this consent decree training piece, everything related to the consent decree, to this huge position under Deputy Superintendent Barbara West. What are you doing there? What message are you sending? Well, as, as I said, you know, organizations uh, display their values by what they invest in. And so, you know, I'm displaying the value that, that we're all in on the consent decree. Uh, that we recognize that it's going to make us a, a better organization uh, when we reach compliance, and that I want to make sure that that it is elevated to the status that reflects that. And so, by having uh, the, um, the the second highest ranking person within the organization in charge of that, there's two deputy superintendents, one in charge of operations, uh, Tony Riccio, who is the former first or is the first deputy, excuse me. And then Barb West, who's also deputy superintendent in charge of training and consent decree compliance and community policing. And that, I think that says that, that, that we care about how we police uh, just as much as about how effectively we police. And we'll do better on the next report card. We didn't do very well in the first one. Well, no, we didn't do it near as well as, as we should have. But we will do better on the next one. And we'll do significantly better on the ones that follow all the you know the consent the the report cards are always a, a picture in time well behind when they're released so you know they're these things are rapidly progressing and and i know that this will uh, better allow us to get in compliance now whether the next report card will show that you know we will see but but i think folks have to remember that that's not a, a, a reflection of 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 today, it's a reflection of uh, a time a few months ago. How long will it take for Chicago to get out from under the consent decree, do you think? What's well, realistic? It Is took, it 10 years, five years? <laughs> it took LA 12 years. Uh, I think that, and it took LA a long time to get organized in the right way and to understand uh, the dynamics of the consent decree because we were one of the first cities that, that had a, a significant consent decree. You know, I think realistically for Chicago, it's more. Um, in the six to ten year range, you know, I, I think that that's a reasonable expectation. You know, it a lot of things depend on a lot of other things. You know, it's just it's, when people see that 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 um, you know we've fallen behind in the release of uh, special orders relative to a certain subject. It's not because we don't have the we don't have the orders prepared. It's because we haven't reached all the milestones that are required in community input and in community outreach on these issues. And so these these things are. And some of that is is um, is longer range than you would think. So some of these things are very complicated, but we will reach compliance. This um, this organizational chart, this elevating of the status, um, will will allow us to do that. This organizational chart looks like a setup for Sean Melanowski as the next superintendent. He's your guy. He was your chief of staff. You loaned him to Eddie Johnson. He's been here. He's been consulting the department. He consulted you on this reorganization. Would he make a great superintendent? Well, that's certainly not my call. There, there, there is a process in place. Uh, I think it's a great process. So He's in it, I, I, and I know the, and I don't know who else in it, but uh, he is. I know the police board is diligent in what they're doing, and I know that Mayor Lightfoot is committed to the process. So, you know, uh, yes, Sean has has been here for a couple of years. Uh, I think he's done a great job. I I think he will get considered. Uh, will he get selected? I don't know, 
you know, I think that's uh, out of my hands. It's not something that, that... Would you like to see it? Well, it's out of my hands, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. I think it's important that I not be a, a voice in this. You know, I, I have I have a role with the city of Chicago, and picking the next superintendent is not that role. But, I mean, you're setting up Chicago like L.A., and he knows L.A. He's uh, been in L.A. He worked in L.A. I mean, it would be perfect to have him walk into this setup that you've set up for him. Well, your words, not mine. Uh, what I will say is that this is not a, just a, this organizational is not just a reflection of L.A. It's much like New York. It's much like many major city police departments. And there are candidates from all of those departments that are applying that may, and, and I don't know who they all are, but I know that many of them are familiar with organizational charts exactly like this one. So to, you know, what, Sean it is, is who he is. He stands on his own merit. I don't think this reorganization gives him a leg up because uh, other candidates are at least as familiar with with this type of organization as, as he would be. It's to me, it's it's a it's a, a non-issue. The police board, who's making the who's who is uh, the ones making the recommendation to the mayor, haven't been part of the reorganization process. They, you know, the the their their piece is being completed now, absent reorganization. So I, I don't really see how this factors in. The ComStat meeting, you dropped this on them. How did it go over? We know how much cops love change. They yeah. don't. Yeah. Well, the other thing they don't like is how things are. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> the two uh, two common things. But, um, you know, they were exactly what I expected. You know, this is a, especially for folks that have been in CPD their entire career, this is a little different way of thinking about the function. So, you know, what that's was the a reaction? Good thing. Well, they, they were all. Very attentive, a lot, asked a lot of questions, which was great. Uh, and uh, and then when we left the room, I know that I know that we're going to move forward as a group. Was there a lot of griping? Uh, there are going to be longer commutes. There's going to be change in their family situations. Uh, well, they don't like that. No, nobody, nobody likes nobody likes change. And and I don't know that there'll be longer commutes because of this. There, you know, the the great thing about uh, Chicago is that that it's. Um, it, it's geographically, you know, uh, uh, well situated uh, for commutes. You know, I know nobody likes commutes, but believe me, from somebody that came from a city uh, almost twice as big geographically, that the commutes are short here. Everybody lives in the city. Nobody's driving from long distances. So, so and, and cops are they're about the work. You know, they they may gripe about commutes, but what they really want to do is go to a place where they can make a difference, where they have value, and and where they're supported. And, you know, that's my goal is to give them a place like that to work. The crime numbers are not good for January. Uh, murders are up 45 percent. Shootings are up 30 percent. What happened? Well, we had a really good last January. As you, everybody that lives in Chicago knows, the temperatures were some 10 degrees lower per day than they are today. We had our lowest uh, January in many, many, many years uh, last year. And this one is more on par with our six-year average. So do we have a lot of work to do? Yeah. Is it is a much harder start than I would have liked? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we had some very high-profile domestic homicides that added to the to the body count. Very unfortunately, very tragic. You know, we had a, a number that are narcotics-related that we're working on. We had a number that are gang-related that, that we're continuing to work on. Our clearance rate so far this year is, is very good. What is it? You know, it's almost seventy uh, percent in in some of the some of the neighborhoods. So, 
you know, we're going to uh, we're going to get through this and we're going to move forward. You know, I, I have confidence in the in the year as in its aggregate, you know, slower starts than I would have liked. But I think that that given the very the variation in the weather and given the specifics of the, the crimes that have been committed um, and our ability to solve those crimes, I, I think we're moving in the right direction. With the additional resources to the districts, I assume you're going to hold the commander's feet to the fire. You think, OK, fine. Here you are. Now, what are you going to do with it? Will will you be demanding more accountability with these resources? Well, and that's exactly what I what I explained to them. You know, we we do hold them accountable. I do hold the uh, area and the district commanders most accountable for crime, and you know, giving somebody if, uh, that much accountability without the ability to uh, to affect the to affect the change you are requesting is wrong. So now they'll have the now they'll have the full. Uh, resources needed to uh, to affect change, and they'll be accountable for that change. And they all know that. I've told them that. I've demonstrated it uh, in the time that I've been here through my constant attendance at Comstat, and and I, that is the way we will continue. Why is overtime still so high? I wrote about uh, 135 or so million dollars in 11 months of last year. Even though Mayor Lightfoot has said this is a an expense the taxpayers simply cannot apportion. You want you to get a, a handle on it. Well, I think that we haven't uh, had enough accountability for overtime. I think that in in under past administrations, certainly not Mayor Lightfoot's, but under past administrations, the police department hadn't really been accountable for overtime, and, and overtime was used to 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 uh, to fill holes that that. Uh, uh, that was that were deemed important at the time, but but then were maybe fiscally a little imprudent. So uh, we're going to hold people more accountable. The, the as we real do in the realignment uh, that we're doing right now. As, as soon as we determined exactly how many people are in each command, we will give them all an individual budget, and that individual budget will be a subject of Comstat, and they will be held to it. And uh, you know, when I was the the chief in L.A., we certainly had times when we went over. But it was always over with an explanation, over with the over with um, uh, discussion. You know, we'd have a, an earthquake or a large fire or or, or whatever. Um, but everybody was accountable, including me, and I stayed within my overtime budget um, every year. Facial recognition was uh, something that we wrote about. Your department is using it. It's using a controversial tool that New York has had, and there hasn't been really any debate about it. Do you need this? Should there be a debate? Is it an invasion of privacy? Well, there certainly is a national debate about it. Many people are speaking out. Uh, the Illinois legislature has a has a law that that controls uh, use of facial re- facial recognition. We we adhere to that law. We abide by that law. Um, so that's a, that's a way a method of public output. Uh, you know, facial rec. I think people misunderstand it sometimes. You know, it is never used solely as the sole tool for making an arrest. It's, it's a pointer system. It's a, it is a clue. It uh, it has to be backed up by by other uh, articles of evidence that by an, in and of, uh, in and of themselves support a prosecution. Uh, we have a very limited amount of people that that are able to use the uh, the the facial recognition system that has um, social media access. We don't use it in crowdsourcing. We don't use it during First Amendment activities. You know, um, I think that the, the rules that we have are, are state of the profession for, for the use of this tool. 
you know, we welcome public discussion about what that state of the profession is, but but CPD is certainly not using it in any way that is that is beyond the scope of, of uh, the professional standard. Why do you need a tool that gives you the ability to scrape three billion social media photos? What does that do for you? Well, we are we are trying to identify people that that have committed crimes, and this the system is only used when there's a predicate criminal charge, when there is a, when there is an unidentified individual uh, tied to that tied to that predicate crime, and we are searching for their identity, you know, and then when when that identity is is comes to light, we have to use completely different means by which to make that case, you and uh, and. The, the facial recognition piece uh, falls by the wayside. As I said, it's a pointer system without all that other evidence that, that uh, be it DNA, be it fingerprints, be it witness ID, there is no case. If you didn't use it, would you be behind the eight ball with other places that are using it? Well, I think we, we would solve fewer crimes than places that didn't use it. Uh, the FOP contract. What is the reason why these officers have had to wait so long, and what would it do for morale to finally get this done? Because they're, they're so exasperated, they're, they voted to go to arbitration. Well, and certainly there, there's a number of things that Chicago uh, uh, needs to address in, in order to, to have a, a workforce that, that believes it's appreciated. And one of them is, a, is timely contracts. The other is timely exams for promotion that are considered fair. And, you know, the, the mayor and I have had this discussion. I know she believes in both those things and, and is working towards them. They're, they're something that is a little outside the superintendent's uh, uh, power to immediately change. But, but I know that the city and its police officers want to come to agreement on this. But the mayor, when she was co-chairing the task force on police accountability, demanded changes to a police contract that she said codified the code of silence. It allowed, it gave officers, uh, made it easier, she said, for them to lie by giving them 24 hours before a statement after, uh, to make a statement after a shooting, prohibited anonymous complaints, allowed officers to change their statements after reviewing video. As a career police officer, as someone who comes from a police family, where do you stand on those changes? They don't want them. And that's a point of contention. Well, I think that, I think, first of all, I think you'd have to talk to the mayor about, about her feelings on this. What it, are your feelings on this? Well, I, I think that, um, you know, the, the, the culture that, that I come from um, doesn't allow a cooling off period before interview. Um, None. No. But I think that, that in some cases, that's the, that, that is the best thing to do. Some of these are very traumatic. Sometimes officers are injured. Sometimes officers are medicated. And so there's, there's many, many uh, things that have to be looked into. I think what everybody wants is a fair system. And I think what everybody wants is a system that recognizes the, um, the stresses of police work, but doesn't automatically um, give uh, protection to those that, that may not deserve it. And so, you know, I think these are all things that are open to negotiation. Anonymous complaints. Yeah, my system takes anonymous complaints. But, you know, I, I understand that, that uh, people may have issues with that. I, but I also understand the, the mayor's position. And the, the system I come from takes all complaints, no matter what the source. Now, anonymous complaints, obviously, 
uh, I mean, are, police are, much, are accused much, of stuff all the time that they didn't well, do. They are, and in those cases, they will be exonerated. It, it isn't. It isn't that people. Um, it isn't whether you collect more false allegations or not. It's whether you look at every complaint and you make a determination on it. Now, you may determine that on its face, it is it's impossible to have occurred, and and you uh, adjudicate it immediately. What what you don't want is a system where complaints can can fall through the cracks because you have um, yeah, you've you've taken steps to. Uh, prohibit them. And sometimes anonymous complaints are accurate. Now, maybe the vast majority of the time they're not, uh, as in most complaints, but sometimes they are. And so to completely uh, remove them from the from the process might be a little advised. But, but, you know, this is, again, this is just from, from my past experience. I'm not part of this negotiation, uh, nor should I be, you know. Um, you're asking me, so I'm telling you. But I think that, that this is something that uh, the city of Chicago and, and the police unions need to work out. I, I certainly have seen it done both ways across the country. What and does L.A. do on this? I just told you. Yeah, we take so all, they we, do we take, take anonymous complaints. complaints. Yeah. Yes. Civilian police review. L.A. has it. Should What form should it take in Chicago? Should these people be elected? Should they have the power to set police department policy? Should they be able to hire and fire the police superintendent? What form should it take, and do we have to have it here? Well, I think civilian oversight is a good thing for a police department. You know, the form that Chicago decides that it wants to take, I think, is is up to Chicago. The advice that, that I would give would be, be directly to the mayor and for the mayor. Um, what do you think of the efforts by Jesse Smollett's lawyers to muddy up Eddie Johnson and to, to bolster their own case by trying to point to this episode that got him fired? Ongoing litigation. Don't have a lot of comment about that except for to say that's what lawyers do. Are you disgusted by it? I mean, this is a guy who apparently concocted a hate crime and now he's going to try to drag down the fired superintendent with him to try to help himself. What about that? Well, as I said, you know, I'm not going to, this is an ongoing uh, piece of, a, of, of civil litigation that I'm not going to comment on. And just, just to the fact that, that there is a lot of uh, maneuvering that goes on in any of these uh, civil trials. Rahm Emanuel eliminated uh, he closed three police stations. He eliminated two areas. He allowed the police department to atrophy, relied heavily on overtime, and then reversed course and engaged in a two-year hiring spree that added 1,000 officers. Do we now have enough officers? Because the, the FOP says we don't. Do you think we have enough? Well, I think the reorganization will will tell us that. I think that... that um, this will allow for a more effective utilization of what we have. Certainly, uh, per capita, the Chicago Police Department is a pretty strong organization. Uh, so we have to look at that, although every city has unique um, situations that require specific manpower or person power needs. So I think we'll have to look at it in the, in the context of the, of the uh, reorganization. Um, but I, I think that that this is a well-resourced department. I think there, there are things that, that, uh, that we need to do. Uh, you know, having, a, having a contract is one of them. I think we need to continue to invest in technology. You know, Which I, we have a lot of. 
Well, we do, but but we there are a lot of pieces that are missing too. You know, we what? need a, what's missing? We need a, a, a RMS system, report management system. We need a records oh, management system. Oh, uh, the early warning. Well, is no, that that, what that is? No, no, that's not what that is. Oh, records management system is a, th a oh. data system that can, that connects all your records to, so that they're easily searched. Okay. You know, we need that to be more robustly. We do need an early warning system for for uh, personnel management. You know, there are a number of things that we do need. We do have some really good technology, but but again, it's not across the board. You know, there are uh, many of our stations uh, have uh, have extreme technology shortages and computers and things like that. You know, just because we have good SDSC rooms doesn't mean that, that all the rest of the technology is at the same level because it's not. So you're planning to try to make some progress on that before you leave as well? I won't have time for that. that you won't? No. Our you're going to hightail it out of here before you solve that? Our budget is set, so I, <laughs> it went, I'm, I'm stuck with the budget we have. But we've been told that we were going to get this early warning system, that we needed one for years. Where, where the heck is it? What happened? Well, there are, there are a number of them that we're looking at, and, and we'll make a selection. We'll, that will happen. How will you restore the broken public trust so damaged by the Laquan McDonald shooting video, particularly in the black community? Get the pol people to trust the police again enough to cooperate with them, help them solve these crimes. Well, everything we're doing, everything that I've done, uh, will help engender public trust. Whether it's uh, uh, putting the organization on track to complete this consent decree, that that solves uh, that creates public trust. Whether it's uh, being more effective in policing, that creates public trust. Uh, whether it's making resources more aligned ge geographically so that the neighborhoods feel connected to their police department, that builds public trust. You know. Uh, the DCO program, district coordination officers that, that give a face and a phone number to every resident of Chicago for a police officer that is primarily assigned to quality of life issues, that builds public trust. You know, one officer per beat, right? No, it's not or one per district. No, it's, it's neither. It's uh, one officer per, it's actually two officers per about three beats. Okay. So they're partnered up to do three to four beats, and there, there'd be about 150 of them citywide. Uh, every every resident in Chicago uh, would have uh, a face and a phone number to contact on quality of life crimes. Not so much nine one one. You still call nine one one, but to uh, to deal with things that, uh, that that people really look for their police department to deal with. So, how long do you think that will take? The the process of winning back the trust of people. Well, I think that's a, a, a an endless process. You know, I, I mean, we have some really good tools for measuring public trust uh, with, with uh, uh, our Lucid system and, and the, the survey system that, that accompanies it. Uh, you know, I think that, that uh, it's something you have to do every day and have to keep doing. I think, the, I think last night you know, we, had a, we had an incident where an officer, a sergeant actually, was shot. Uh, and, you know, his actions were heroic uh, in, in protecting the community. And I, and I think that wins public trust. I think there are stories like that every day in Chicago where I see officers doing their absolute best to protect people uh, regardless of whether they know them or not. Is there anything more you can tell us about the circumstances there? I know that the officer did a heroic thing. He was shot, and yet he said, I want to get this guy before we go to the hospital. What were, what were the circumstances surrounding that where you witnessed a murder? It was a, uh, a drive-up murder. The, the, uh, the offender 
uh, drove up in a white pickup, exited the pickup, and then executed a, a person on the street right in front of the uh, police officer uh, who was. Uh, in what a plain, was he doing, the officer? What was he, he was there? in a plainclothes capacity in a, in a totally unrelated investigation. What was the investigation? I'm not talking about what the investigation was, but it was totally unrelated to this. Okay. What was it like being police chief in a city of stars, a place like Hollywood? And how does it differ from Chicago? What is your best day there, or your worst day there and your worst day here? Can you compare what it, what the difference was? Well, I was a chief for a very long time in LA, so I had some great days, but I had some very bad days too. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I was a chief for almost nine years. I, I had uh, five officers killed uh, while I was there. You know, those kind of things. One of them, uh, a very close friend, uh, uh, all five of them, with families that I've become uh, very well acquainted with. So those are, those are awful days. You know, I had, uh, I had, uh, a series of a time of a two month period where I had three killed, uh, and I ended up having to go to, uh, to the police memorial with, uh, with uh, three sets of families in in one year, and that that was very difficult. So. You know, you can't compare the bad days because I had the span of time just isn't equal. Um, I will say that Chicago is a great city. The people are very supportive of their police in many, many ways. You know, the folks here really want a good police department. You know, and, and I think that, uh, and I know that the men and women of CPD want to be that police department. So, you know, I see tremendous opportunity here. If I didn't think this was going to succeed, I wouldn't have come. You know, I, um, I'm certainly uh, past needing a job. So, you know, this was, to me, was an opportunity to do something for a city that I have a lot of respect for and that I think is on the cusp of something so much better. And, uh, and I can see all the stars being aligned. You have a great public safety mayor. You know, uh, I've never worked for a better public safety mayor. She is, you know, her, uh, her impassioned speech at the, at the hospital, uh, at the bedside, of the of the sergeant last night uh, showed that showed what she values in in policing and that that she knows how hard these men and women work and how dangerous their jobs are and how committed their families are. So you know, having a mayor like that, you know, having a, a department that is that has uh, enough resources, you can always quibble about whether it needs a, a few more or a few less, but enough resources and enough technology. And and the innate ability, you know, I think is a, a great opportunity. And, and if uh, believe me, if I didn't think that I would be successful, I wouldn't be here. Any lessons in the Rampart scandal for Chicago? Always. There's always lessons, you know. And, of course, I was uh, the captain at Rampart after the scandal, part of the reformation of Rampart. And, and a lot of that, is, a lot of the lessons learned there is that even even in the in the worst of times in the police department, uh, the vast majority of cops are there for the right reason. The vast majority of, of cops want to do the right thing. And, and you can't abandon those because of the actions of, of, uh, of a few that, that betray their badge. And, and, and those people you have to deal with, you have to deal with them severely. You have to deal with them immediately. Uh, but then you have to remember that they, that they do not reflect the values of the vast majority. And so that's a really important lesson from Rampart. The other important lesson is that you can't, um, you can't ask for more from your police department than it can legally give you. If you place demands on policing that, that are unreasonable, they will achieve them 
but you won't like the way they achieve them. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure that, that, that you understand that what you're asking for is what you're going to get. If you ask only for more arrests and not for reduced crime and not for constitutional policing, then you will fail because they, they will make arrests, but they, they will be the kind that you will pay for for years, either through public trust or through, uh, through lawsuits, but certainly because of because what you've done is you have you have taken the, the organization that is supposed to provide justice to uh, to a city and you've flipped it on its head and you've caused it to be the source of injustice. So so really important to uh, to understand the lessons of Rampart. Superintendent, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we'll see you for the next, what, four months? And then you're back on your dirt bike, right? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see, we'll see <laughs> okay. how long I'm here. And we'll see you all next week.